Hello, this is Rob Massey. Welcome back to the Planet Jesus podcast. This is episode 10, Lying, the Gateway to Chaos. In this episode, we will look at how recent events in Chicago underscore the importance of telling the truth and avoiding the chaos that lying can cause. We will consider the thoughts of Sam Harris, sprinkle in some Moses, and finish with Jesus' example as a faithful witness. I hope you enjoy the program. On January 29th at 2 a.m., Jesse Smollett was attacked on the streets of Chicago. He reported the incident to police. Here are a few of the things he claimed occurred. He said, quote, I heard empire, and I don't answer to empire. My name ain't empire, and I didn't answer. He continued, I kept walking, and then I heard blank, empire, blank, using a homophobic slur and the N-word. So I turned around and I said, what the blank did you say to me? And I see the attacker masked and he said, this is MAGA country, N-word. He punches me right in the face. So I punched his expletive back and then we started tussling and it was very icy. We ended up tussling by the stairs, fighting, fighting, fighting. There was a second person involved who was kicking me in my back and then it just stopped and they ran off, end quote. This is frightening stuff. My brother and some of my friends were jumped by some guys in Chino when we were teens. Baseball bats can do some damage. My brother's nose was broken. My friend was hit on the back of the head and blood was pouring out. My other friend was hit on the temple and it raised up a big goose egg. I was inside when it happened, but the chaos flowed into the room where me and yet another friend were talking. We ran outside and it was mayhem. This kind of violence has gone on for years, and it is the primary characteristic of disturbed people. Here's a little timeline of the Smollett incident. On January 30th, Smollett, he received a strong outpouring of celebrity support, as he should have. Of course, some of the support was not limited to condolences. It kind of descended into political jabs and et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to go into that here. For me, my empathetic response, though, was shaken on January 31st when Smollett refused to turn over his phone. That just didn't seem right. On February 11th, Smollett released his phone records, and on the 14th, two persons of interest were taken into custody. The same day, he was interviewed by Robin Roberts, saying, quote, If I had said the attackers was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me lot much more, end quote. Unfortunately for Smollett, the persons of interest were black, and a couple days later, they were released, and he was arrested. Deception is part of the human experience. We've all been lied to or lied about, but the real dastardly aspect of this lie is that Smollett used the current political environment an environment that has emboldened a small minority of racist, homophobic people to further his own agenda. Smollett's lie is based on a modicum of truth. There are people who wear MAGA hats and spout racist and homophobic rhetoric. The president's tone has crystallized a small minority of insecure white conservatives to rage against innocent people. For example, the deplorable actions of James Fields Jr., in Charlottesville, Virginia, 
in 2017. He drove down from Ohio to attend an alt-right rally and could not stand to see people opposing his cause. Fields drove his car through the crowd of protesters, killing Heather Hare and injuring three dozen others. If I were racially a minority or openly gay, these kinds of overt acts would be disturbing. As it is, they are disturbing. And I'm a six-foot-three white, middle-aged, middle-class male with all my hair. Definitely the prototypical white guy. We should all be concerned when minority or marginalized classes are not given the space to thrive. That's what makes Smollett's lie so detrimental. Lies break down trust between people and whatever the unit, family, marriage, churches, teams, companies, nations, trust is what holds it together. Smollett's lie and James Field's actions in Charlottesville only work to deepen the distrust. Eddie Johns, the police superintendent in Chicago, said, quote, Smollett took advantage of the pain and anger of racism to promote his career, end quote. He went on to say, quote, My concern is that hate crimes will now be publicly met with a level of skepticism, end quote. Isn't this likely? True victims may be ignored or not report, and when they do, the confirmation bias of the alt-right will dismiss all claims as untrue. Lies always lead to mistrust. In order for a people to work together to improve social order, there has to be trust. Sam Harris who is an American neuroscientist, philosopher, author, critic of religion, and fellow podcast host. He wrote a fantastic book in 2013 titled Lying. He wrote, quote, Lying is the royal road to chaos, end quote. Certainly the drama around Smollett has led to chaos. Politicians and media hosts were quick to defend and accept the false narratives, only to retreat and express anger at the breach of trust and rightfully so. Everyone lies, not Smollett-level lies, but what we have come to call white lies. I remember being about five or six years old, and my mom and I were leaving Montgomery Wards, walking through the parking lot. We get over to our car, and I had noticed a guy selling roses in the parking lot. He came up to our door and offered one to mom and uh, said they're a dollar, and I wanted one. And she said, oh, I don't have any money. Well, I had just seen her put a couple of dollars back in her purse after she purchased whatever she did in Montgomery Wards. So I said, oh, yeah, you do, Mom. You've got that money there. Well, immediately, my mom's white lie was exposed and chaos ensued. Immediately for her, as she had to explain to this man that she wasn't lying, that she just didn't have money to spend on a flower, and God knows we were dirt poor, and then later when we got home, uh, I had a little chaos ensue, if you catch my euphemism. You might say, Rob, white lies are not bad and certainly cannot be compared with what Smollett did. We cannot tell people the truth all the time. It'll hurt their feelings. I really think that authors like Harris in his book on lying and Brene Brown on her work on transparency, vulnerability, and tough conversations reveal the overcorrection of polite culture. Conflict avoidance eventually leads to wasted time and effort and ultimately disappointment. Here are a few quotes from Harris's book on the topic of white lies. Quote, 
In many circumstances in life, false encouragement can be very costly to another person. False encouragement is a kind of theft. It steals time, energy, and motivation that a person could put towards some other purpose. Such tiny erosions of trust are especially insidious because they are almost never remedied. End quote. I do not like confrontation. I want people to like me, and when I'm in disagreement, I struggle to find the words to debate or to challenge or to respond correctly. This awkwardness in truth-telling is common, even for people who seem practiced in the art. Guys like Harris. Harris continues, quote, Communications like these can still be awkward, but a wasteland of embarrassment and social upheaval can generally be avoided by following a single precept, do not lie, end quote. If our communities are to thrive, we need to have a culture of truthfulness. Harris's concluding comments on lying set the tone for social order. He writes, quote, Lying is almost by definition a refusal to cooperate with others. It condenses a lack of trust and trustworthiness into a single act. It is both a failure of understanding and an unwillingness to be understood. To lie is to recoil from relationship. Lies are the social equivalent of toxic waste. Everyone is potentially harmed by their spread. End quote. I only address the Smollett deception because of its potentially extreme impact on society. It is extreme because of his popularity and the inflammatory nature of the claim. That said, this is a recurring theme, played out in our provincial lives and in the lives of the rich, famous, and powerful. Although decrying its use, Harris believes lying was part of humanity's evolutionary history, used as an advantage for survival. But he also asks some important questions at the end of the text. He asks, quote, How would your relationships change if you resolved never to lie again? What truths about yourself might suddenly come into view? What kind of person would you become? And how might you change the people around you? I think those are good questions. What truth-telling is and isn't? Truth-telling is not taking the opportunity to voice your every grievance. It's not a Facebook post poking at a friend, I put friend in air quotes, on some topic, and then concluding the post by saying, ain't gonna be quiet no more, or some other defiant, overly confident statement. I'm not saying there is no time or place for bold proclamations. For example, the Me Too movement. I think most people were surprised by the arrogant actions of Harvey Weinstein and how he took advantage of women that he abused. I know I was. And I know I'm naive about human behavior because I'm constantly baffled at how bad persons and their character can go undetected or unreported. And I'm surprised at the extent of the depravity. That said, a culture of incivility can emerge as a corrective to the conflict avoidance that was characteristic of polite Victorian culture. Incivility itself is an overcorrection. When we voice our truth, we need a healthy dose of humility. We need to remember that we only know what we know from the unique perspective of our experiences and genetics. They are factors in how we perceive and our capacity to perceive. 
So when we speak truth, it must be tempered with an understanding that we do not have all the facts and cannot have all the facts. This goes back to episode 9 and by quick judgment and the judgment of much of the media that the Catholic boys from Covington were racist or elitist. Subsequently, we discovered that this was not true. Also, the initial comments of support for Smollett and additional rage against Trump and his supporters, like the tweet from actor Billy Eichner on January 29th, Trump and all MAGA lunatics should burn in hell. To his credit, he subsequently deleted this tweet. But the damage was done. The distrust has been spread, even after the deleted tweet or the retraction of comments. A study from the University of Western Australia found even clear warnings to ignore misinformation can't erase the damage done. Professor Ecker claims that, quote, even if the retraction or correction is well remembered, end quote, there continues to exist a, quote, influence effect of misinformation, end quote. He continues, quote, our memory is constantly connecting new facts to old and tying different aspects of a situation together so that we may still automatically draw on facts we know to be wrong to make decisions later, end quote. James Fields Jr. was drawing on his own facts when he drove through the crowd of protesters. Nancy Pelosi, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Al Sharpton, AOC, Katy Perry, Olivia Munn, Rob Reiner, and Billy Eichner were all drawing on facts to decide to defend Smollett and quickly identify the motivations for the attack. Many of their comments would have been justified had the facts of Smollett's attack been correct. As it stands, they were premature. I'm not being judgmental because I'm guilty of jumping to conclusions. My point is, truth-telling has to be tempered by clear-headed reflection of facts. If we need to comment early to show our support, then we should caveat with, if this proves to be true, or a possible attack occurred. This kind of temperance is actually renounced by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democrat from New York. She's also known as AOC. The New York Post reported that when TV's Entertainment Tonight reported that Smollett was hospitalized after, quote, a possible homophobic and racially charged attack, end quote, AOC tweeted, quote, there is no such thing as racially charged. This attack was not possibly homophobic. It was a racist and homophobic attack. It is no one's job to water down or sugarcoat the rise of hate crimes, end quote. She has been silent since Smollett's arrest. If our goal is to build a healthy society, then trust, which comes through truthful communication, is probably the single most important factor, and certainly from our leaders. The Bible recognized that lying was one of the most destructive forces against societal health. But before we get to that, I want to read a 2003 syndicated column article from the famous Christian evangelist Billy Graham. He was responding to a writer's question about lying. Dear Mr. Graham, what's the difference between what a friend of mine calls a white lie and a regular lie? I've always thought that any lying is wrong, but she says there isn't anything wrong with little white lies. They don't really make any difference. Is she right? Mrs. F.L. Dear Mrs. F.L., all lies are wrong in God's eyes. 
because every lie is an attempt to deceive. The Bible doesn't make any distinction between so-called small lies and big lies. Nor can I agree with your friend that some lies don't really make any difference. If they don't make any difference, why tell them? Yes, lies may not seem like they hurt anyone else, but how do you know? And even when they don't, they do hurt the person who tells them. When we allow lying to become a regular part of our lives, we become morally and spiritually dull, and we also get a reputation for being unreliable and untruthful. The Bible wisely says, truthful lips endure forever. It also warns, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are truthful. When people make a practice of dishonesty and lying, society suffers and people become suspicious of each other. We see far too much of this today, in business, classrooms, even families, and we need a renewal of moral and spiritual integrity. Don't let your friends' opinions influence you, but make it your goal to live a life of honesty. Most of all, make it your goal to live for Christ, who came into the world to show us God's love and truth. Dr. Graham writes what I was trying to say earlier. Society suffers from lying. In addition to the biblical reference from Dr. Graham, I want to dig into a few others. The first conversation about lying occurred in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, in the third chapter. I mean, we're right out of the gate, and this book starts talking about lying. If you're not familiar with the story, it is written in the genre of epic, using the forked-tongued serpent as the antagonist and promoter of lies to the first couple. Gordon Winham, in his commentary on Genesis, writes that, quote, The Gilgamesh epic, which existed at the time Genesis was written, relates how Gilgamesh found a plant through which he could avoid death. Unfortunately, while he was swimming in a pond, a snake came out and swallowed the plant, thereby depriving him of the chance of immortality. Here in Genesis, we have a quite different story, but once again, a snake, a man, plants, and the promise of life are involved. Though here, man loses immortality through blatant disobedience, whereas in the epic, that loss seems to be just a matter of bad luck. End quote. The writers of Genesis are trying to communicate a different worldview than the writers of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Genesis seeks to provide insight into how humans rationalize, manipulate, twist words, and ultimately find ways to undermine the trust others might have in a personal loving God and in each other. It is not a historical account of lying and deception, but a theological account of how all humans fall into deceptive traps. It's the story we've been talking about since late January with Jesse Smollett. It's the story of every unfaithful husband. It's Enron. It's Ponzi scheme. It's subprime mortgage-backed securities. It's Russian meddling in U.S. politics through bogus Facebook posts in an effort to create distrust between races and political parties. It's the story of our lives and what is reported every night on the news broadcasts. The Bible starts with this story because it knew long before Sam Harris or Billy Graham that lying was the door to social chaos. Chaos always starts when trust is eroded and the basic nature of humankind rises up. It's kill or be killed. Say what needs to be said to survive. Do what must be done to win. This is the nature of our politics, our secular faith, 
and every other institution that thinks that survival is based on human action. When a person has forsaken the idea that there is mystery in this world and that there is a God who loves and cares for their well-being and he's interested in the way that they treat others, then he will try to get while the getting's good and make sure he survives. Like a pack of dogs at a shared feeding bowl, only the strong and most greedy thrive. Is that the world we want? Do we want to be a pack of mad dogs around a limited food supply? scarfing down food at the expense of the small and the marginalized and the scrawny? God, I don't want to live in that kind of world. V.P. Hamilton, in his commentary on Genesis, writes about the erosion of mystery and trust in God, which leads, without exception, to distrusting each other. He wrote about the serpent, quote, He grossly exaggerates God's prohibition, claiming that God did not allow them access to any of the orchard trees. Apart from this claim being unadulterated distortion, it is an attempt to create in the woman's mind the impression that God is spiteful, mean, obsessively jealous, and self-protective. The truth is, we will see others as we perceive God. If God is spiteful, mean, obsessively jealous, and self-protective, we will see others that way as well. When we see God as giving, gracious, sometimes incomprehensible, but always seeking human flourishing, then we will see others that way. When we fail to understand the other's actions, we give a time of grace in order to understand. We truthfully speak to others when we perceive injustice because we believe that the other has humanity's greatest good at heart. Only the most mentally disturbed want to see the annihilation of the world. Look at all the supervillains of comic book fame. In one article, Dear Movie Supervillains, Quit Trying to Destroy the Whole Planet, Ebery reflects on the villainous, overzealous goal of destroying the whole planet. We know Bane and Octavius and the Joker are all toxic guys trying to destroy their cities that they were in. What struck me from this article was the quote from Ultron in the Avengers Age of Ultron. Quote, when the earth starts to settle, God throws a stone at it. And believe me, he's winding up. End quote. This seems to imply that God is the destabilizing force and adversary of the earth. The Hebrew revelation, however, of the character of God is that he was not random or capricious or angry. The Epic of Gilgamesh claimed that kind of bad luck relative to human existence, but that isn't the claim of Genesis. God has set prohibitions online and other things to prevent chaos. When it comes to prohibitions, the Jews thought lying had priority of place for preventing chaotic human relations. And they saw human disobedience, not God or bad luck, as the real catalyst for chaos. Beyond Genesis, we see that Moses promoted laws to prevent the prosecution of anyone without the correct number of corroborating witnesses. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible claims that, quote, In the judicial procedure outlined in the Old Testament, one witness was not adequate for personal testimony against anyone, but two or three witnesses were required, Deuteronomy 17.6 and 19.15. This principle was ingrained in Jewish law and is reiterated in the New Testament, Matthew 18.16, 2 Corinthians 13.1, end quote. 
Notice the context around the Deuteronomy 17 passage. Verse 6 writes, On the evidence of two witnesses, or on three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. End quote. Also notice the context around the Deuteronomy 19 passage. Verse 15 writes, quote, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. End quote. In contradiction to AOC's rush to judgment and dismissal of any cautious language around the reports of a single witness, Moses says, The judges who are in office shall inquire diligently. What's wrong with inquiring diligently before we jump to judgment? The irony of the Smollett case is that lynching was alluded to as part of the crime against Smollett. But what was lynching in America? It was the premeditated extrajudicial killing by a group. It is most often used to characterize informal public executions by a mob in order to punish an alleged transgressor or to intimidate a group. AOC's comments are a form of verbal lynching. She informally and without judicial oversight judged the situation and attempted to use her power to intimidate the careful communications of Entertainment Tonight. I don't care if it's the comments of AOC or POTUS or Smollett or whoever. They're bullying and intimidating it. Coercive rhetoric, political deception, and nuanced language is only what we've come to expect from the serpent and does not promote human societal flourishing. It should be renounced. If they had to receive the punishment they meant to inflict on their enemies through their false testimonies, I wonder how long this behavior would continue. I want to state again, I use the Smollett case to discuss the damage of lying to societal health because it is the story at hand, not because I'm a racist and a homophobic, using this event as another opportunity to express my latent bigotry. His actions are devastating because of the downstream impact on the communities he represents. The effort expended to bring awareness to the subtle and not-so-subtle manifestations of racism and bigotry of all kinds was undermined. I cannot laugh with Charles Barkley about the ruse. As a Christian, I am interested in the eventual equality and mutual respect of all peoples. That's the end state of the Christian dream— that all peoples would dwell in harmony in a world that resembles the imagery of a garden free of serpents. Barclay can laugh, but those of us who are the poster children of perceived and real white privilege need to make sure we wipe the smirk off of our face. This lie does not vindicate anyone. It underscores the depths of human weakness. Smollett, despite his wealth and prominence, 
was a poster child for racism and homophobia, and he used the current public sensitivity as an opportunity for personal gain. That's an example of human weakness if I've ever seen one. I want no ill will towards Smollett. A public apology, community service, and reparations to the Chicago PD for the expense is adequate. The white mega hat wearing folks should forgive Smollett, certainly if they are Christians. The only way to move forward as a nation is to draw a line in the sand, forgive one another for the past, and move on, deciding to trust and repress suspicions. Jesus referred to himself as the truth in John 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Hendrickson writes, quote, The term, the truth, seems to have a different shade of meaning. It is that which stands over against the lie. Jesus is the truth because he is the dependable source of redemptive revelation, end quote. The redemption of all people comes from buying into the redemptive revelation of Jesus, not that of the elitist Jewish religionists of his day or the elitist inheritors of the faith in the Christian West. In the documentary, Lord, Save Us From Your People, several contributors reflected on how compelling the life and the character of Jesus was, but that they couldn't buy into his path to redemption because of the bad character of his people. Remember, Smollett was not the first to lie. Christians have lied about Jesus for two millennia, sometimes with their words and sometimes with their actions. The idea of Jesus being truth is that he embraces the mystery of God, and contrary to the deceptive witness of the serpent in the garden, he properly reflected the true nature and character of God. A God who puts himself at risk to love his creation by sacrificing, loving, forgiving, even before it's requested, and creating a path forward for peace and reconciliation. In the final book of the Christian scriptures, Jesus is called the faithful witness in several places. The most dramatic image is in Revelation 19:11. Quote, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. End quote. Can we not all hope for a righteous judge? One that will not judge from externals, but will look inside, see the motives, see the history, see the past, see the brokenness, and judge from that perspective? The war that the faithful witness wages is with the sword of his mouth. That is, his words of truth. The way all peoples will be captivated is through faithfully witnessing to a gracious view of God and by courageously following Jesus. Jesus wears white in verse 14, and the horse he rides is white. These white garments, as G.K. Beale writes, represent righteousness, but also a reward of vindication for those who have preserved through persecution. Vindication is probably included in most of the earlier uses of white. For example, the Son of Man and the saints stand vindicated by God after their faithful witness is rejected by the world and they are persecuted. You see that in verse, chapter 1, verse 14, 2, 17, 3, 4, and 5, chapter 4, verse 4, chapter 6, verse 11, chapter 7, verse 9, chapter 14, verse 14. This passage indicates that there is no risk in being vulnerable and being truth speakers. If Smollett will speak the truth, God will vindicate him. If Christians will speak the truth, there is hope for them, as with everyone. 
the imagery of sitting in utopian white with representatives of all nations sounds amazing to me. Strife has ceased. Enmity has been destroyed. Our cursings have lifted. This does not have to wait. The people of God are to begin living this now as an anticipation of the world that is to come. We will not see everything resolved until the goal is reached. But for now, people who can hear the mystery of God in the voice of Jesus should commit to lives of truth and vulnerability as a lived example of truth. We are not doomed to paralyzing distrust. We have the power as humans to listen, empathize, and respond to the perspectives of others. Let's exercise that power while also recognizing the mystery that exists, that there is a God who loves, serves, and is no respecter of persons, but causes his grace to fall on the just and on the unjust. Thank you for listening. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and you could have chosen any, but I sincerely appreciate your investment of time into mine. The show notes for this and all episodes and other links to source material can be found on my website at planetjesus.net. The Planet Jesus podcast is published on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate it, and share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.